0: a Bible, turn to Romans chapter 2. Romans chapter 2. I had someone recently ask me what version of the Bible I preach from. I preach from the New King James Version. So if you're looking for a study Bible or need a new Bible, I preach from the New King James Version. If you don't have a Bible, you can grab one under the row in front of you. You can use one of those this morning to follow along as we're going to be covering all of Romans chapter 2. We're in our fourth message in this series already, and I can't believe it's already January is gone, and February is here, and uh, we uh, are reading, I uh, hope you are reading through this book as well, so you can understand our journey through Romans. Uh, it's, a, it's a hard book sometimes, but other times it's very uh, plain and simple. The book of Romans was written by the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul wrote this epistle or letter uh, under the divine inspiration of God. This uh, letter is powerful. It is uh, one that is used many times to share the gospel and share the message of salvation. He wrote this book to the believers in the region of Rome uh, while he was on his third missionary journey. We learned that he desired to go to Rome, never got to make it to Rome, but wanted to make it there, wanted to get in on the action, wanted to be a part of the revival, wanted to be a part of this culture that was outside of God's uh, you know, covenant, outside of God's uh, uh, you know, so to speak, his will, and they were coming to know Christ, and Paul wanted to be a part of that. He wanted to be a part of that, and uh, he did never got to go, but he desired to go. And last week, we uh, plunged uh, into the depths of depravity, right? Paul begins with the bad news. The gospel is good news, but in that good news, there is some bad news. The bad news is that we are sinners, and left to, to ourselves, we will plunge deeper and deeper into sin and depravity. And the Romans were definitely a culture that embraced that. They were a culture that would have been full of all these sins that we mentioned last week. Paul mentioned uh, and brought them the light. Just like any culture or any group or any person who denies the existence of God, who rejects the gospel of Jesus Christ, who, 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 who turns to their own way, will, will definitely turn to the depravity of man. And the judgment of God will be gone uh, in their eyes. Many will cast off restraint. And what you see is no standard of morality. And you see a free fall. Literally everyone doing right in their own eyes. And Paul tells us that God gives them over to evil passions. God gives them over to wicked ways. God gives them over as a culture, as a whole, but also individually. Uh, one of the descriptions last week I didn't get to talk about much, it really hit home of me, was inventors of evil. You remember that little phrase, inventors of evil? It's a frightening phrase, just good old common sense of evil wasn't enough that we invent evil things. And Our hearts, like I said, are desperately wicked, and without God, we see that so many times. We read the stories in the news, we watch them on TV, and we think, how could anyone ever even think of that, right? The depravity of man, uh, just the violence and the evil. Paul also mentioned the depths of sexual depravity. So much so that the women were giving in their own ways. In a culture, normally, throughout history, women are the last ones to fall to moral immorality. But Paul says even the women are plunged into immorality and perversion. And Paul is trying to convey this. Man without God is hopeless. That's the point of it. Man without God is hopeless. When man is left to himself, There is an unbridled desire of sin that will overcome. Man will not choose good in himself. Man will not default to being good in of himself. Man is a sinner. Man will go to the depths of depravity of sin. And that's why it's so dangerous when we say things like, just be you. No, don't be you. Be who you are in Christ, yes. But if you are just you in your own nature, You will choose sin. You will choose destruction. You will walk away from the things of God because that's what we are. We are sinners by nature. That's what Paul is trying to drive home here. And I'm sure if anyone's like me or others, at the end of chapter 1, verbally you may not confess to it. Somewhere in your heart you kind of felt, whew, now that was a bunch of sinners, right, in chapter 1. Kind of not like me, though. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not that bad. You know what I mean? Like, we hold this standard like they are the crazy ones and the sinners, but I'm not quite like that. We're, we're not like, quite like that. And it would have been exactly the way the Jews would have believed. And Paul, from chapter 1 to chapter 2, is going to hit the Jewish believers and some of the Jewish non-believers after they would have felt really great reading chapter 1, he's going to hit them in chapter 2, because the Jews would have been like, that's right, they're Gentiles, they're dogs, they're outside the covenant, that's why they're barbarians, that's why they're full of all this stuff, and yet, we're not like that, we, we are Jews, we are right with God, we are in the covenant, and they would have said, get him, Paul, right, that's ridiculous, call him out, they would have just been pointing the finger, kind of laughing, so to speak, Recently, I got a new truck. I got to buy a new truck. And uh, for my whole life, I drove Fords in high school and in college. After I graduated, I think I came home from the hospital in a Ford. Uh, I just a Ford guy. And uh, went to school in Alabama. If you were anywhere in Alabama or from around here, you took pride in what kind of vehicle you drove, all right? So if you drove a Ford, you automatically talk trash about Chevys, right? Like cheap, heap, every valve rattle, oil leaks every time, right? That's you just kind of know those things. And so it's kind of like a rival. Well, however, 10 years ago, a friend of mine was selling a Chevy truck, and I liked that truck. And so I decided it was a deal I could not pass up, so I bought my first Chevy truck. And boy, I felt ashamed. Let me tell you what I drove How I felt, man, I had let my family down. You know what I mean? Like, I, my dad is so ashamed. And, but just kidding, I love the truck. I immediately started talking bad about Fords, though. Found on road dead, right? You know, uh, you know, always talking about fix or repair daily, right? And talking about Fords and talking about people who drive Fords. And, uh, and, and over the last few years, my Chevy truck got to the point where it was almost 10 years old and started breaking down. It wasn't very dependable. So I said, I'm going to get me a new truck, and I'm going back to a Ford, right? I'm not driving this Chevy anymore. So immediately, I got right with the Lord, and I bought me a Ford. That's what I say, all right? <laughs> got back right with the Lord. So i kind of been like Jonah the last 10 years. I'm, I'm a new man now, right? So started talking a little trash. To those driving Chevys again, all right, like Brian and uh, like others, Jason, feeling really good about my Ford until a few weeks ago it started acting up, took it into the dealership, it's been being worked on for two weeks now, all right, still in the shop, all right, and of course the great encourager Brian is, everybody says, oh, it's so great, Brian's such an encourager to you, he uh, pointed out the other day, he just asked me, why are you not driving your new Ford with a smirk on his face because he drives a Chevy, here's the point though, they're just vehicles, right? Ford, Chevy, whatever you drive. Every vehicle has problems. There's not a vehicle that's lasted and is perfect, that doesn't let you down, that's not going to have a dead battery, that's not going to have parts that fall apart or parts that doesn't work or eventually wear out. There's no perfect vehicle. There's not one, and there's always going to be something with them that's going to break down. That's what chapter Two is all about. You may think you're superior. Because according to your standard, you're better than someone else. But Paul is going to remind the Jewish people and us this morning that you may think you're self-righteous and you may be pretty confident after chapter 1. But let me tell you what he says in chapter 2. He tells the Jews, And us and anyone else who thinks they're morally superior, that you are just as guilty before the Lord as anyone else. That's what he gets to them. And he's saying you may be religious, you may be moral, you might have the right title, you might say you are religious, but you are immoral, you are a sinner, and neither Jew or Gentile is perfect or righteous in the sight of God when we stand in our own righteousness. So this morning, let's dig into chapter 2. I want to begin in verse 1, and I want to read the first two verses. I'm just going to work work through it verse by verse, and when we get to the end here, I'll draw some conclusions, all right? So chapter 2 of Romans, verses 1 through 16. Therefore, you are inexcusable, O man, whoever you are who judge, for in whatever you judge another you condemn yourself. For you who judge practice the same things. But we know that the judgment of God is according to truth against those who practice such things. Right from the start, Paul begins saying, you're inexcusable. Like, just as he said, people who say there is no God is without excuse. You and your self-righteousness is without excuse. You have no excuse. Because you are judging people who are sinners with a standard that you are guilty of yourself. That's the key. It's not that you are not perfect and they are not perfect, but you think you're perfectly you're perfect because outwardly you are not looking like them. But Paul is pointing out the same thing that Jesus pointed out in the Sermon on the Mount. Inwardly, you are like that. And Jesus called the Pharisees of his day, which would have been the Jewish religion people who keep the law to the nth degree, almost over 300 and something laws, he called them hypocrites. That's not a word we typically use in our day today, but hypocrite meant a play actor. It meant that someone was dressed up or playing a part or a role to people in public, but yet in reality, they took that off. They were totally something different. They were in character. So What he's saying here is you are in character before people, but before God, he knows better. He, he sees through the little outfit. He sees through the act. And you are not perfect because inwardly, you are the same way. Remember, Jesus addressed this as well. He said, on the outside, you look well, but on the inside, you are full of dead men's bones. He, matter of fact, even told them you are like whitewashed tombs, meaning it looks good on the outside, but you're dead on the inside. He also drilled down on the Sermon on the Mount, if you remember this. He said, you look at people and say, do not commit adultery, but yet in your heart, you have already committed adultery and you're just as guilty And he also says, you say, I do not commit murder, but you have anger, and you are just as guilty because you have anger in your heart. Paul is saying, who are you to be judging? Now, in our modern theology, we're celebrating because we're saying, that means no judgment, right? We are not to judge. We don't judge. No, we don't judge, but it is God who judges. It is the judgment of God, not the judgment of man. God is the standard, not us, not the man. And who can stand before God in his own goodness? Not a Jew, not a Gentile. Can anyone? Look at verse 3. Paul answers his own reason. He says, and do not think this, O man, you who judge those practicing such things and doing the same, that you will escape the judgment of God. This is the verse we read together. So what he's saying is, who can escape the judgment of God? No one. No one can We're going to get to Romans chapter 3, and he's going to use words like, for all have fallen short, and everyone has sinned, and God has declared us sinners. We're going to see words like that and terms like that. The point is, everyone is guilty, and no one, no one will escape the judgment of God. I don't care how good you look. I don't care how religious you look. I don't care how how moral you think you are. Before God, without Jesus Christ, you are guilty. That's the bad news. And we should not have a self-righteous judgment to look at other people and say, they need Jesus because they're sinners. But I'm a good person and God loves me because I'm moral. (laughs) We all have missed the mark. The self-righteous standard is just as guilty as the sinner, is what he's saying, or just as guilty as the open sinner, what they would call the Gentile sinner. Because the self-righteousness leads us to pride and contempt. And we begin to look at others and think, I'm not that bad. Paul continues his thought. Look at verses 4 through 6. Or do you not despise the riches of his goodness, Forbearance and long suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance, but in accordance with the hardness and impotent of your impotent heart, you are treasuring up for yourself wrath in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who will render each one according to his deeds. So this most certainly is like the elder brother, right? The elder brother and the prodigal son. The prodigal son had left. He went. He was in the muck and the mire. He had returned back to, the Lord, to God, so to speak, in the, in the, in the, in the story we know. And he, as he comes back, the father runs to him. But yet the elder brother who stayed goes outside of the castle, folding his arms and looking all upset. And they ask him, why are you so upset? Because the father has killed the fatted calf and he's treating him like he has done nothing wrong. I'm the one who's done nothing wrong. And I'm the one who deserves all these things. Not realizing that he has received the same mercy and grace that the, that the prodigal son has. And that's what he's telling the Jewish people here. That's what he would tell me or you or anyone who thinks they're more superior in God's sight. Why do you now all of a sudden have this desire for God to judge people? Why do you have a desire that God's goodness and his forbearance and his longsuffering not be shown to them because it was shown to you? So why would you want, why are you clamoring now and demanding this justice of God? Because you had this kindness towards you as well. I think sometimes for us as Christians, we get spiritual amnesia, right? Sometimes we look at people and the older I get, the more I realize I do this. I look at people who are millennials or maybe someone who's uh, of this generation, we think, I was never that bad, you know what I mean? Like, I wasn't lazy, and I didn't do this, and I didn't do that, and you kind of go off a rail, and you realize when you talk to your parents that you were that bad, right? Like, what did I do when I was a kid? Just all I got to say is thank the Lord there was not social media when I was growing up, right, because... Uh, there's a lot of things that you see and do, and you clamor for this judgment, and we make judgments, but yet we forget how bad we were. And what Paul is exhorting them, you're not so special yourself. You were stubborn. You were hard-hearted. You, you needed the mercy and forbearance of God, too. And if you read through the Old Testament, we have been studying in the, in the Old Testament in Isaiah on Wednesday nights. He tells them, you are, you are like donkeys. You are backwards. You are stiff-necked. He's telling the Jewish people this. And now what Paul is telling, he's tying it together. He's saying, you were like this, and God had this kindness for you. Why all of a sudden do you have this righteous standard that you want to point your finger towards them? You are just as guilty because of the hardness of your heart and because of you want to stand in your own righteousness. Look at verse 7. He carries on. Eternal life to those who, are, who by patient continuance in doing good seek for glory, honor, and immorality, but to those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation, and wrath, tribulation, and anguish on every soul of man who does evil, of the Jew first and also of the Greek. But glory, honor, and peace to everyone who works that is good, to the Jew first and also to the Greek for there is no partiality with God. Verse eleven is so important that by those who patiently continuance in uh, by patient continuance and doing good seek glory, honor, immortality, immorality, or, or immortality. He's saying those are the ones who have eternal life. Those are the ones who are seeking God, pursuing God, walking with God. Now. Don't get caught up in the wording of this. I know it's tough, the wording in this verse, but here's the point. The point is, true faith in God leads to eternal life. And we talked a little bit in the first message about what true faith is. And it's tied to what we learned in the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews taught us that it doesn't matter what you say or how many times you say it, if you don't mean it in your heart or you don't obey it in your life, then it's just words. For a Jew to proclaim he is right with God because he's God's person or God's people, that means nothing. For someone to say, we are in covenant with God, but yet you choose to go against God and you don't don't serve God or worship God, and you just say, I am a chosen person, what Paul is trying to tell the Jews is, there's no partiality with God. It doesn't matter where you start or what you say, it matters where your heart is right now. And what Paul was telling the Jews is, your heart is far from God, just like the Gentiles. And when your heart is far from God, and you don't accept Jesus Christ, or you don't believe on Christ, you're in the same condition. Even though you look morally superior, you are still guilty before God. If we run this up to our culture today, and in our society today, this is the same as a Christian We might say things like, well, I know I'm born again, or I know I'm saved, or I walked an aisle when I was seven years old, or I joined a church, or I said a prayer, or I got baptized. God's got to let me into heaven because I got baptized, right? I got the water to figure, I got the water to show it, but yet in your life, there's never been a change, and you don't have this understanding of who God is, and you don't walk by faith and true trust in God. It's all talk. Listen, talk doesn't get you saved. Faith is not just talk. We can say we are Christian as many times as you want to say it, but if your heart doesn't reflect that, then you are not who you say you are. I know we live in a culture that believes if you say it, then it's reality, right? And sometimes, like lately, it's been pretty ridiculous what people say, and they want you to accept as reality, right? Right? It'd be like me standing here saying, I am a woman. Now, as funny as that may sound, and as scary as that may sound, right? But if I got up here every week and told you I am a woman, you would say, that is not reality. You may be saying that, but that's not reality. Sometimes we say, or others may say, whatever they are, what you say is not reality. And what happens with faith is, what you say sometimes is not reality, and what he's telling the Jewish believers, or these not believers, but Jewish, Jewish people here are saying, listen, this faith that you claim has not changed your life, and your heart has not changed before the Lord. That's the reality of it. I don't care what you say, or how moral you say you are, or how right you say you are with God, or that you're proclaiming God, you are in the same condition as those that you have cast judgment on in chapter 1. He says this faith that you have has to be a reality, not just words only. You have to have the heart and you have to have this real faith. And as we had talked about a working definition of faith in my first message and also as we studied through Hebrews was faith is that you are currently and consistently trusting in Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord. He says, those are who has eternal life. Listen, in our life, it's not a one-time confession or a name-only confession. It is when we look to our heart and our actions, we could tell who seeks God and who does not seek God. And no matter how righteous you may be and how self-righteous you become, you, by doing that, as Paul says, are under the same wrath and indignation as anyone else. And look at verse 9, he continues this, he even furthers it, he says, Tribulation and anguish on every soul of man who does evil of the Jew first and also of the Greek. You get it? The Jew first and also the Greek. Paul says you're not off the hook. You're not off the hook because your name only, it gets you nothing before the judgment of God. And we already read, there is no partiality with God. None. So maybe after last week's sermon, you feel like in your lifetime you've been a good person. People don't go to heaven because you're a good person. We don't go to heaven because we're a Baptist. We don't go to heaven because we're a Christian. We go to heaven because we have faith in Jesus Christ, that we realize we are a sinner. That's part of the ABCs of the gospel. We we acknowledge that we are a sinner. We have missed the mark. And we, as missing the mark, we we believe on Jesus Christ of what he said he was going to do and what he did. And we call on his name as a Christian to save us. And if you think that God is going to judge you on some sort of curve because you're at the top half of your class. Like I I never have done this before and I've never done this before and I've never done this before. So when God looks at me, judge me, I'm going to be on that higher class, right? Many times, as you witness the people, you tell people about God, I always like to ask them, when you stand before the Lord, what do you think is going to happen? And some people have the ideal, and they even say it verbally, is that there's going to be a big set of scales. On one side will be all my good deeds. On this side will be all my bad deeds. Whichever one outweighs the other. If it's good, I go to heaven. If it's bad, I go to hell. Listen, you're not graded upon good or bad. You know what Paul says? We're all bad. You're not going to make the cut. He doesn't grade on a curve. And whether you think you're religious or whether you think you're not religious, whether you're moral or not moral, the question is this. Are you currently and consistently trusting in Jesus Christ? He's the only hope. And Paul is trying to get them to heed this warning as well. There's no partiality with God. Look at what he says in verse 12. For as many as sin without the law, talk about the Gentiles, will also perish without the law. And as many as sin in the law will be judged by the law, for not the hearers of the law are for, for not the hearers of the law are just in the sight of God, but the doers of the law will be justified. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature and do things in the law, these also not having the law are law to themselves, who show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness. And between themselves, their thoughts accusing or else excusing them in the day when God will judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. See what verse 16 says right there? In the day when God will judge. God will judge. There will be a day when we stand before him. And what does he judge? The secrets of men. doesn't matter what we put on the outside. Listen, we all came this morning. We come to church, we dress up, we talk Christianese, right? How are you doing? I'm blessed. You know, I'm so good. Everything's so well and all the stuff like that. Listen, you're not going to be judged on who comes to church, who doesn't come to church. What he's saying here, it's the secret things. It's the things in your heart. It's the things that in the places where you don't express or that only God knows. And he says that's what he's going to see. He's going to cut through all of that and see what's really in your heart and what's the judgment going to be according to my gospel. It's according to if you have believed and trusted in Jesus Christ or not. If you've come to a place where you've confessed that I can't make it, I'm not good enough, or I'm not I, I'm I am too bad or I'm not bad enough that God won't save me, whether good or bad, in our sight of in, in our sight is still sin in God's sight. We all need the Lord. We all have missed a point. That's what we're gonna learn next week in Romans chapter 3. And Paul says, You think you have the law? Because you can quote the law, but you don't obey the law. And yet when a Gentile who doesn't know the law obeys the law, he in himself is righteousness because he has obeyed this law. He's just working through this reason. Now look at the last part, verse 17 through 24. It says, Indeed, you are called a Jew, and rest on the law, and make your boast in God, and know his will, and approve the things that are excellent, being instructed out of the law. And are confident that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of babes, having the form of knowledge and truth in the law. You, therefore, who teach one another, do not teach yourself. You who preach that a man should not steal, do you steal? You who say, do not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who make your boast in the law, do you dishonor God through breaking the law? For the name of God is blasphemy among the Gentiles because of you, as it is written. I'm going to stop right there. I don't want to go all the way down to verse 29. I'll pick that up in a second. But you see his reasoning here. You say you're a Jew. You say you're great. You say you're a guide to the blind, right? You say that you're so confident in this law. You say that you're a light to the darkness. You say you are a guide to the foolishness. You say you're a teacher of babes. And yet, do you teach yourself? And yet, do you break the law yourself? Do you commit adultery? He's saying the very standard you have created, you are guilty of yourself. And so many times we get blinded by self-righteousness. Listen, in our circles today, and especially in the Baptist tradition, this would be called legalism you know what legalism is? Legalism is not saying we want you to be like God. It's saying we want you to be like us, all right? Listen, the standard for us and for us as Christians is we want to be like Christ. But legalism comes and says, no, we want you to be like us. And if you're not like us, then you couldn't quite possibly be like God because we think we're the standard, But we are not the standard, right? I, as a pastor of this church, I am not the standard because I fail just like everyone else fails. I am a sinner saved by grace. That's it. And yet when I try to put my legalistic ideals or standard on someone else, God has a question for us. Who do you think you are? That's what it is. And for us as Christians, many times legal. And like I said, back when I was growing up and you hear the old timers say this all the time and they say this in church. I remember Dr. Vines talking about this as well. He said they would go through a service and it would be a church and they would talk about all the things they don't do, right? We don't smoke, we don't drink, we don't chew, and we don't go with girls who do, All right, That's pretty much it. But he said they would talk about all this stuff, and he said you go outside and look, and the deacons and everyone's around the tree it looked like a tree was on fire. They were smoking cigarettes. He thought, wait a minute. Did we not just say how moral how moral we are, and we can't, or smoking outside of the front of the church? I mean, that's how ridiculous this sounds, and Paul's saying the same thing. You are standing in contempt of these people, but your heart is far from God. And you know what he says here in verse 24? He says, you know why this culture is so far from God is because of you. You were the chosen. You were the ones to take the gospel or take the message of God. You were to redeem the earth. I was going to redeem the earth through you, but because of your failure, God has been blasting to the Gentiles. What a condemnation, right? Think of us as Christians. We have the gospel. Why do we want to be like the culture? Why do we want to be like the world? Why do we want to be like everything this world is, we should be radically different and we should be engaging the culture and we should be sharing the gospel. Listen, the solution to this country and this world is not another president. It is the Savior, Jesus Christ. Like we should be more passionate about sharing Christ than we are anything else in our life. Listen, I'm guilty of this as well. I get upset and I watch the news and I think of all these things and I think about how bad our culture is and how bad our country has become and then before I go to sleep at night I'm reminded, how many people did I tell about Jesus Christ that day? Not one single person. How do we expect to change this world when we know the only hope is Jesus Christ and if we're not sharing Jesus Christ, then we become hypocritical. Listen, sinners are going to sin. That's in their nature. And we in our nature as well will be sinners. Only Christ can change that. And what he's saying here to the Jews, this is on you. They act like that, and you're acting like this, and you're both the same condition. Let's close out the chapter. Look at verse 25. For circumcision is indeed profitable if you keep the law. But if you're a breaker of the law, your circumcision has become uncircumcision. Therefore, if the un- an uncircumcised man keeps the righteous requirements of the law, will not his uncircumcision be counted as circumcision? And will not the physically uncircumcised, if he fulfils the law, judge you who, even with your written code and circumcision, are a transgressor of the law? For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision which is uh, that which is outward in the flesh, but he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit, not in the letter whose praise is not from men, but from God. See what he's saying here? Now, some of you, all you heard was the word circumcision. That's it, all right? And I understand that because when you study the Bible, I've used the word circumcision more teaching the Bible than I ever have in my whole life, all right? But here's the point. Circumcision was a covenant, an outside sign of the covenant of God with the Jewish nation. And that outward symbol, I I I liken it or use it kind of like baptism. It is the baptism that signifies the the work of the Spirit of God in your heart. You are saved. That's why you are baptized to tell everyone what's happened in your heart. All right? You don't get baptized to be saved. You are saved, then you're baptized. All right? That's the picture of it. And so... What happens is when you start saying, I'm baptized, that's how I know I've been saved. No, that's not why you're saved. You were saved by the Spirit, not by the commandment or the obedience of God's command to be baptized. You're saved by the Spirit of God, by the Holy Spirit. And what he was telling the Jewish people here, if you think you have been saved or you keep the law because you've been circumcised, He says, you're a breaker of the law because circumcision has become uncertain, meaning it was useless. I always tell people, if you think you're going to be saved by being baptized, you're going to go down a dry center and come up a wet center, all right? There's nothing going to happen in that action. The same with circumcision. He was telling the Jewish people, your heart is far from God. You made an outward action, and that brought you no closer to God than, any, than, than nothing, anything else. Nothing brings you that even closer to God. And why are you bragging in that? That has done nothing. And you look at this, and what he tells them in the end is this. It is not the circumcision, but it's a condition of the heart. It is the Spirit of God. It is one who is inwardly, not in the letter, but in the Spirit. And the final question from Paul in this chapter is, what are you trusting in for deliverance from God's judgment of sin? Because all are sinners. We have all missed the mark. For the Jews, they were believing in all the wrong things. We are moral. We are circumcised. We keep the sacraments. We have ceremonies. We are moralistic, superior than any one of society And Paul tells them, none of that makes you righteous before God. You are just like the Gentiles in chapter 1. You have become guilty before God because you are trusting in all the wrong things. And the same contempt and judgment you desire for the Gentiles in chapter 1 is the same judgment you're going to get from God. And listen, you may be standing tall now in your outward deeds, but... God sees the heart. As we think about this chapter and closes, I want to give you a few things. One is no one escapes the judgment of God. I love this because the ground is level at the foot of the cross. I don't care if you've been a sinner for 50 years or 60 years or 70 years or whatever depths of sin that you've been in or what the society says is bad or what religious people say is bad. We all stand the same before God. Before the cross of Jesus Christ, it's level. No one escapes the judgment of God. God doesn't grade us on a curve and don't come in here or don't think that someone is morally superior to you because we are all sinners and we all start in the same spot. And secondly, no one can stand before God. No one is good enough. I've missed the mark. You've missed the mark. No one will stand before God. We are all in need of Jesus Christ. And the question that Paul raises is, do you have true faith? Do you trust in Jesus Christ? Are you consistently and currently trusting in Christ? True faith is more than just academic or uh, conscience. It is from the heart. It is a work of the Spirit of God. Paul gives us some assurances later on when he writes his letters and he tells us that God's witness will bear uh, bear witness with our our witness uh, with our spirit. And in your heart you can know if you know God or not because his witness or is, his spirit is a witness to our spirit. And it is do we have that true faith? And if we do, as Paul is exhorting these Jewish people, if you do have this true faith, get off your spiritual high horses, right? Don't look down your noses at people in contempt and judgment. But get busy sharing the gospel. Get busy telling people about Jesus Christ. Our attitude should be, I was a sinner who is saved by grace and you can be saved as well. I love the way one pastor put it. He said, I am a beggar telling another beggar where he can find bread. It is not that we are moralistic better, moralistically better or that we are, we are better than anyone else, but yet we just have been to the Savior and we've trusted in him, and you can do that as well. You can, and we need to share the gospel and stop judging people and let the judgment of God do it. It will be sufficient, trust me. Let God do that. And you share the gospel. That's what Paul is telling the the Jewish believers, or the Jews and the Jewish believers here. And that's what he tells us this morning. So let's bow our heads, if you would, and let's go to our time of prayer. And this morning I do pray. If you're here this morning, maybe you don't have that assurance. I just pray you ask God to, to have it this morning. I encourage everyone who struggles with knowing if they're a Christian or if they're saved or not, I just say, ask God. Just ask God. God, I want you to show me, reveal it to me. Do I have a real relationship with you? And listen, the Bible says that He will He will speak to your heart. He will He will show you through His Word. He will bear witness with your spirit if you are lost or you're saved. And listen, if you're saved, you're saved. If you're lost, you're lost. Listen, if you need to call in the name of Jesus Christ, do it. Just call on his name and say, listen, I I, I realize that I've been I've been putting my faith in all the wrong things. But I just want to trust in Jesus Christ. The Bible, like I said, through the gospel is simple, ABC. acknowledge you're a sinner. Believe that Christ is who he is and what he said he has done, which has come to this earth, lived a sinless life, died on the cross, went to the grave and was resurrected. And you can call on his name this morning. That's the C. You can call on the name of Jesus Christ to say, Lord, I know I'm a sinner, and I want you to save me. That's what the Bible talks about, being saved. And maybe you're here this morning, you have been saved, but you realize it's been a while. It's been a long time. You've been more passionate about sharing other things in your life or maybe in this culture than you have the gospel of Jesus Christ. Maybe in in your own home your family knows what you stand for politically or maybe morally or maybe any other sort of standard, but yet you don't share the gospel with them. And I pray we'll get busy sharing the gospel. We are the light. We are the salt of the earth. And we need to be busy sharing the gospel. As a church, I pray we will just commit to be ones who share the gospel. Share not our religion, not joining our church, not doing these, uh, just these moralistic things, but Come to know Jesus Christ. Share the gospel. Or maybe you're here this morning, and you just are broken before the Lord. God has worked on your heart, and you just want God to restore you. Man, what a, what a great time to call in the name of the Lord and just say, Lord, here's my heart. I've, I haven't been walking with you, and I want to be restored. I love God because he's loved me. And God is not the God of a second chance. He's the God of another chance. And this morning, if you'll trust and you'll turn from your ways and say, Lord, I I need you back in my life. I want you to pick me back up and put me on my feet again. He'll do it. He's done it for me. I know he'll do it for you. And this morning, maybe you just need to say that. I need this for my family. I need this for my life. I want to be put back on my feet again, God. He'll do it. Whatever it may be. We're going to play a song just for a few minutes. Right where you sit, I just ask you to keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed. Call on the name of the Lord. Lift your heart up in prayer and say, God, here's my heart. Speak to me this morning through your word and through your spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.